Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we sat down with Jeff Andrews and Ray McKee of Troth Wines. These guys are making world-class Cabernet out of the Horse Heaven Hills, and it was an absolute pleasure to have them on today. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as we enjoyed doing it. Don't forget to click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Cheers. And we're live. Hey, what's going on? Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's a, a pleasure to have you. Uh, this is a region that is uh, definitely fascinated me. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Horse Heaven Hills uh, just in general. And uh, having someone uh, on that's uh, making fantastic wine from the region and uh, your inaugural release, is that correct? That's correct, yep. Beautiful. Uh, having them on uh, is a is a big thing for us. It's something that uh, I I'm. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, why don't let, you go let, ahead? And yeah, let everybody tell know us who, who they are, are and what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Tell us tell us who you are and what your winery is because uh, a lot of people you know here don't yeah. know. They don't know. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Ray, I'll go ahead and start. Um, so my name is Jeff Andrews. And I am a uh, proprietor of Andrews Family Vineyards and Troth, uh, the wine we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, and the first thing I want to say is I'm thrilled you guys uh, know about the Horse Heaven Hills. So many people uh, around the country, if you tell them a wine comes from the Horse Heaven Hills, uh, they might look at you like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> it's, it's great that you guys are, are familiar with it. Uh, that part of our mission is to get the word out about the Horse Seven Hills and uh, Washington State in a broader context and uh, produce uh, world-class wine that can sit at the table with, with any great wine in the world uh, and represent uh, our area um, very well alongside all those other wines. So um, that's really one of the primary goals of the trove. So uh, I'm fourth generation here at Andrews Family Vineyards. Um, my great-grandfather uh, purchased this property in the Horse Seven Hills in the early 1940s um and our family has gone through many iterations of farming uh various crops until we landed on wine grapes uh in the late 1970s early 1980s and have been um, growing wine grapes and expanding our wine grape uh portfolio and growing capacity since then that's the really short i don't want to start uh you know take too much of your time at the very beginning with that i'll let uh, ray introduce himself as well yeah absolutely yeah i'm ray mckee yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, uh, my name is Ray McKee. I'm a second-generation Washington winemaker, and Troth is basically the culmination of 28 years of a dream of making the best wine possible with the best grapes and the best grower and owner. And that is my short version. <laughs> Where did you uh, get your start at, Ray? Uh, well, my start, my family had uh, a small family winery called Tef Cellars, that uh, they launched in or started in 1989, but we moved out here in 1987. Uh, so we could work on planting the vineyard and it was a nice um, slow build up. It was a little uh, 
really new, I guess, at that time, the Washington wine industry out there in the world. I think my, I can't remember what my dad's bonded winery number was, but it was in the low 100s. And I think it's well into the 17 or 1800s or more now. But that, yeah, so chores, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you started doing like a, a barrel cleaning and 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 sweeping floors and and stuff like that. Yeah, I was thirteen and fourteen when we bought that vineyard, and I was pretty much like a a big town city kind of kid. So that was all new. Uh, my first time on the tractor, I ran over a vine, you know that kind of stuff. Ooh. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a learning experience. You know, my dad held it up and said, this vine is 35 years old. Oh, <laughs> oh no. And I said, what did you put me on the tractor for? <laughs> well, I uh, I love that. And and again, we uh, so it was kind of a chance meeting that uh, we, we met you guys, actually. I think um, uh, you guys reached out via uh, social media and... Uh, we made the connection that way, and and for everyone who knows uh, our our podcast, uh, we are we're kind of associated with a, a wine store in Florida, and uh, you know we we've never heard of Troth before, and I was very interested. Um, I I love the region. I love uh, the the wines that are coming out of there are absolutely gorgeous. Um, to me, it's it's so opposite of uh, a lot of what California is in a way. Um, it's very old world in style. Um, but you get a lot of different representations out of out of Washington fruit, and there's a lot of uh, people doing it. Um, so I was very excited to uh, have that connection made, and then uh, Katie reached out to me uh, and and was nice enough to send us a bottle, and we tried it, and we were like, Jesus Christ, this is beautiful. Let's we we've got to chat with them and uh, have them on, and and uh, we corvin that a couple days ago, and we're actually sitting here with the rest of the bottle right now, and I I got to tell you, it's fantastic juice. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, no, we, we love hearing that. And what you what you said about the Horse Seven Hills and the wines coming out of this area, it, it's so true. Uh, the growers here are absolutely committed to producing uh, the best grapes that they can and working hand-in-hand hand, um, you know, with their winery customers or, if, like us, they have their own winery uh, to really uh, elevate the region. Uh, and so you've got awesome wines coming out here from Quilcita Creek, who you know, a lot of people are familiar with a lot of their uh, Columbia Valley Cabernet comes from the Horses and Hills. You've got Passing Time Winery, uh, which is a partnership between Dan Marino and uh, Damon Heward. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pull fruit from the Horse Seven Hills. Andrew Will's another great one. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. Uh, so many great wineries from here. Yeah, we're we're familiar with quite a few of them, and, and we've had a lot of people on from Washington. I mean, uh, we uh, most recently I think we had Brian Rudine on uh, from uh, Canvasback, Canvasback over in Red Mountain, and mm. uh, you know we we absolutely love the fruit that's coming from there. I I think the Merlot is world class Merlot. I, I mean they're they're just such beautiful representations of what's going on. I think the higher uh, uh, the cooler climates, higher acid that these wines uh, bring is is something that uh, you don't get a ton out of uh, California unless you're going really high elevation. Absolutely. And, and Matt, just to touch on what you said a little earlier, too, about uh, the region being so different than California. Uh, not only is the climate and terroir different, but I think uh, potentially some of the growing styles and mentality of what we're trying to accomplish is, is different, too. Uh, and so when we set out to make crows, uh, of course, we wanted it to sit at the table with 
the best wines from Napa. Who, who doesn't want to accomplish that? But we didn't want it to feel like a Napa wine uh, or try to mimic what, what they're doing because that's not us. Right. Uh, we are Washington State. We are the Horse Seven Hills. And so we did our best to capture who we are and what we're doing and put that in the glass for you. The, uh, the wine that you sent us is 100% Cabernet Sauvignon, correct? Yes. <laughs> and 100%. Then, and then, and uh, you, it, it's not a lot, right? I mean, maybe like five barrels or something like that. It's not a whole lot made, correct? Yeah, that was our inaugural release. It was five barrels. Uh, we we had a few extra barrels. I mean, our, I think our uh, blending percentage was less than half of what we produced in that first vintage made it into Trove. And, and you got a lot of good... Yeah, you got a lot of good neighbors in that area too, right? I mean, we talked about that. I mean, you're not far from Red Mountain. There's, you know, the Tri Cities are, are close by, um, and uh, of course, Walla Walla is probably what, maybe an hour or two away. Yep, that's right. Walla Walla is about an hour and a half from us. Yeah, uh, and so Walla Walla and Red Mountain, uh, they tend to um, garner a lot of the attention uh, nationwide, and oftentimes even within the state and. For, for good reason. You, you can find phenomenal wines from those areas for sure. Um, but Horse Seven Hills is really undiscovered. Uh, there's so much potential here, and there's so much untapped potential. Uh, land that, uh, you know, if someone's not looking at planting that, they are probably missing out on growing and producing, you know, the next world-class wine. Mm -hmm. um, and for whatever reason, tends to get overlooked. Um, water rights, how's that work there? Oh, water rights in Washington State are heavily regulated. Uh, we're very fortunate as as a family, the Andrews family, to have the rights that we do have. Uh, so in the early 1940s, when my grandfather, or excuse me, my great-grandfather uh, purchased the property, there, there were no water rights here. There was no water. Uh, he grew dry land wheat. Uh, but in the Horse Seven Hills, average rainfall is maybe five to seven inches a year. Uh, it just so happens that the the area of land that we have, average rainfall is even less. We're talking more like three to five inches a year. Uh, you can often stand outside on what should be a rainy day and watch the rain clouds part and go around the Andrews family property and oh, on no. the rain somewhere else, which is <laughs> which at the time in the 1940s when they're growing dryland wheat, that's depressing. Uh, today, when we're growing wine grapes and we have control over the amount of water we put on them, actually works out really well. Uh, so my granddad, um, Bob Andrews, convinced my great-granddad to drill for water uh, about mid-1950s. And uh, we're so fortunate to find what, at that time, uh, the story is anyway, that it was the largest artesian well in North America. Uh, and it, it put out thousands of gallons a minute, which was pretty amazing. Um, if you were to look at our property in the Central Horse Seven Hills uh, from a bird's eye view, you see patch of green and brown uh, all the way around us because so many other areas in the interior of the four seven hills just don't have access to water and we're so fortunate to, to be on top of an aquifer uh, where we did have that access so uh, that that rainfall for them was unfortunate you know those that accumulation but for us it's actually worked out really well like I said we have near complete control over how we grow these wine grapes each year 
And I think that that's uh, something extremely important that you touched on and uh, and Perry brought up uh, that a lot of people don't really understand that you're you're uh, by all definitions uh, a desert and you have to, uh, those those water rights are extremely important uh, or you're just not doing anything and that's where it becomes uh, almost an uh, an, an uh, form of art right I mean you are you are controlling everything uh, that Mother Nature uh, kind of left you without. That's that's absolutely right, and that's one reason why actually I love working with Ray as a winemaker. He understands that he's he's the type of winemaker who likes to get out in the vineyard. Uh, he understands the growing cycle and what plants need and potentially don't need uh, to really dial in the harmony in the vineyard. Um, and water is just such a huge component of that. So how did how did Trove actually come to be? Because you are you you said you're fourth generation, right? So your Andrew's family has been around for for some time. Uh, how did this? How did the uh, the venture of Trove actually come to be? So uh, the Andrew's family planted its first wine grapes, like I said, late 1970s, early 1980. Uh, that was actually a partnership between um, my grandfather and one of my uncles. Uh, and at the time, my, my dad, he was, um, he was a cattle rancher, um, and he watched with interest, but he wasn't, wasn't really into getting into wine grapes at that point. Uh, and so he watched for a while, and by about 94, I want to say, he um, decided it was time to plant. So he contracted with uh, Washington's largest winery, um, Chateau Saint-Michel, and put in 20 acres of Cabernet Sauvignon. And... As the Washington wine industry grew from there, we grew right alongside them and replaced um, what had been, you know, cattle ground or some other type of row crop. Um, we had asparagus, watermelons, uh, wheat, corn, you know, we kind of did it all. Um, but as the wine industry grew, we grew along with them and, and converted acreage over to wine grapes. And all along the way, uh, whether we were dealing with or Washington's larger wineries, uh, we watched them have success with uh, scores and accolades uh, where our grapes were either the primary portion of, you know, maybe a multi-vineyard blend or single vineyard, just not named. Uh, and so we knew we had quality as we watched these other wineries having success. And so I, uh, I came back to the family business in 2006. Um, I had recently graduated from law school I had done an internship, uh, like a legal internship with um, a large insurance company in the Seattle area. Uh, and it was becoming very clear very quickly to me that that really wasn't how I wanted to spend my life. Uh, insurance defense work uh, was not, not for me. Um, I needed to get out. I needed to connect with nature uh, and do something a little different. And so that was about 2006, and there was an opportunity for me to come home at that time. We were actually just on the verge of planting uh, several hundred acres over to wine grapes. So my wife and I talked over and thought, well, let's give this a try for two or three years uh, and, and we'll reassess after that and see what happens. Um, and after that third year, we didn't even sit down and reassess. We knew we were in the right place. Um, and so fast forward a little bit through the years as the vineyard, vineyard continued to have success, uh, one other uh point that really stood out for me uh, over my time period before we launched Trilled was uh, in 2009, uh, one of our customers uh, earned Washington State's 
first and only one spectator uh, ranked number one wine in the world. Uh, fruit from one of our Cabernet blocks made up a very large portion of that wine. And that was just one more you know, point along the way where I was going, okay, we definitely have the quality in the vineyard uh, that we can launch something here. So about 2018, um, Ray had recently left Chateau St. Michel. Uh, he had worked alongside us in the vineyards in, uh, for about 10 years. Uh, with, with them being one of our customers, he was making wine, getting to know our blocks, and I got to know him uh, very well professionally. And like I said earlier, he is the type of winemaker who really understands the growing cycle. He understands uh, what it takes to throw out the potential of a vineyard and works closely with growers uh, to do that. And so when he left St. Michel, I knew that if I could convince him to come and work with us, that I would sort of have the other piece to the uh, the stool, if you will, to putting something special together. Uh, so I reached out to Ray, asked him if he wanted to make a little bit of Cabernet with us. Uh, he said yes, and um, we got to work putting trails. And Ray, like, uh, you know, you coming back, coming from Chateau Saint-Michel and going in, you know, here with the Andrews family, um, you know, Chateau Saint-Michel, the behemoth, right, the, the, the big boy, you know, out there. I mean, that had to be more comfortable for you to to kind of be with a smaller independent family, uh, I'm sure. You know, I, I love my time at Chateau Saint-Michel because it was really important to me to continue the growth of our place in the wine world, Washington State's place. And being the red winemaker there allowed me to to put a lot of phenomenal wine out into the world all over the place that was easily accessible. You know, a lot of the wines we made were $20. And so that was a, a wonderful time. But yeah, like you said, <clears throat> I found myself pretty stretched. You know, it's, it's hard to put all the attention a wine needs to be truly great mm -hmm. when you're making a million cases of it. So it was, uh, it was the right time. I, I learned an amazing amount about the vineyards in Washington because I made wine from almost every single one of them, you know, and it was the right amount of time, solid decade, well-established. Uh, and I also just needed to get back to my own roots, which were, you know, making wine with my own hands and the small amount. So it was, it was a perfect phone call from Jeff because he was, uh, a grower I really respect and he sort of downplays one of the things that makes their vineyard great. And that's his family's thoughtfulness in how they grow. So they took their time coming to the conclusion they needed to make their own wine. Um, but every step of the way since then has been with uh, a lot of thoughtfulness and done in exactly the way you need to do it. If you want to be regarded as in a, you know, a world-class wine. And that was always my goal too. I tried my damnedest with Chateau Saint Michel, but you know, at some point, people would just say, oh, it's a really good uh, grocery store wine. And no. I freaking hated that. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true, but also not true, because we are um, farming grapes, you know, in every vineyard in the state. We're not making the same kind of wines that hit the grocery store in the vineyard, because we really can only grow four or five ton per acre properly in Washington. So that's why we're always a standout in quality when you compare a wine to a wine by dollars, you know, Washington's always going to kick some butt there. Yeah. But my point was, well, why are we making it for less money when it's a higher quality? And that's was 
my number one goal at Shadow St. Michelle was to elevate all of that. And now with Troth, it's a, it is a easier to do when you're focusing down in on a few hundred cases of wine with a dedicated ownership group. I, I don't think I would ever knock Chateau Saint-Michel just for reasons that uh, people like Dean Derby, uh, Gilles at Long Shadows, yeah. uh, I th- John Bookwalter. There's a, a lot of these people um, have said to me, you know, they kind of saved me in, in some ways. They saved our business in some ways. Or or maybe we lost a plot of grapes and they were able to like lend us or give us, you know, sell us some grapes that, you know, it went during a tough season. It's I've never heard anybody in Washington State ever say anything bad about them. They always felt like it was really they helped out in situations when people needed their help. So, uh, yeah, I would never knock them. Uh, and I think um you know, even though there's some big boys in California with some big names, I also know they're also stewards of land. Uh, so um, I, I think that's that you. In order to make yourself a region that stands out, there's got to be somebody else that starts it all off and gets it rolling. And like you guys now have, you know, you're creating a, a world class wine. Um, you know, uh, 100% Cabernet. Um, you know, really is a beautiful wine that seems like it has great structure and will last the test of time. Um, and, and to be able to do it with, you know, just a, a smaller group always to me always feels, you know, like, again, we're a family, our store is a family business. So we get that whole feel, you know, um, so we do like small, but I was reading something and you, I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but you could take uh, cryptocurrency for your wine. Absolutely. Yeah. There, <laughs> what a strange we world that, we are living in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, cryptocurrency is a roller coaster ride for sure, but it's a lot of fun um, and it's got so much potential. Uh, before I touch on that, though, I do just want to highlight what you just said about Chateau St. Michel because it's a completely true story throughout the whole industry. Uh, and I can I can just echo that story. We would not be here talking to you today without Chateau Saint Michel. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have the experience he has as a winemaker. My family wouldn't be here growing the grapes to have the opportunity to launch something like Trove. Uh, we worked with uh, them for over forty years, uh, and they're the gold standard for what a large winery should be. I think that there are some other large wineries nationwide that could look to them for how you treat your uh, winemaking community and grower community because they've been phenomenal to work with. Um, but on the cryptocurrency side of things, uh, Ray and I uh, both, you know, came to realize we both love cryptocurrency. Uh, we think it's got an incredibly bright future. Uh, for myself, I actually mined cryptocurrency. I mined Ethereum uh, back in 2017, 2018, no about shit. a year. Just as a, yeah, yeah, just as a little hobby, I built four uh, home mine rigs. I put them up actually in the lab where we run our grape samples um, each fall. It was the only place I could find uh, that was temperature controlled uh, and also had a dedicated uh, Ethernet in my office that, you know, kind of everything fit to make it work. Um, so I could keep that room nice and cool because even those four little mining rigs, they put off a lot of heat. Uh, so I had a lot of fun mining that. Um, one of the rigs had a little mini meltdown, a little rider uh, melted on it, and I got to work and did an inspection like I did probably you know a couple times a week. Saw that and 
it's like, okay, it is not worth burning down my shop uh, and office over some <laughs> cryptocurrency. So uh, I pulled the plug on that, but I learned a lot about, um, you know, that whole world through the process. And I think cryptocurrency just has so much potential. I would say uh, if you are reading news and you read negativity about cryptocurrency, most of that comes from people potentially not necessarily understanding that the, the value that it can have yeah. uh, in the world. Uh, and that's okay. We just need to get them educated and bring them around. Uh, I'm sure there's any number of inventions that you could point to over time. And people are like, oh, that's not going to work. And now we use it every day and don't even think about it. Um, I think cryptocurrency is going to be one of those. I, I couldn't agree more. It, I think at this point, it's almost inevitable. Uh, I think it's it's definitely going that way. Uh, and it's really cool that uh, I, I don't know another winery or anyone else who's, <laughs> who's ever minded. No, it's <laughs> really cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know a lot of people who bought early, but not, not, never mind it. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was pretty sweet. Uh, we have uh, actually been pretty fortunate to have a couple of cryptocurrency customers, um, including a Founders List member, which was really awesome to, to pull in somebody who wanted to buy a case of wine with Ethereum. Um, so it's been pretty cool to connect with people who are interested in that, uh, understand that our interest in it is genuine, not as well, sure, we'll take it because it's trendy. Um, and that gives us an opportunity to, to talk to and connect with customers in new ways. That's awesome. I, uh, so I, I gotta say, like I said, uh, when this connection was made, uh, I do a lot of research on to who I want to bring on or, or who I choose to represent and, and Perry does the same thing. And as I was kind of doing some research into you guys, uh, you seem to have, uh, quite a loyal following. Uh, people, people really, uh, gravitate towards you. Your wine is, uh, phenomenal. It, I, again, uh, shout out to Katie. It was, uh, very sweet for her to make that connection and send this bottle out. Thank you guys so much. And it is, uh, it's, it's a beautiful wine. I, uh, I think it's something that, like I said before, it's very old world in style. Um, it's very beautiful, elegant. Uh, I think, like Perry said, it'll stand the test of time. To me, this is uh, only going to get more beautiful with age. I mean, this is a to me fifteen plus year wine. This, this oh, yeah. has some beautiful acid to it that'll that'll make it linger for a while. Yeah, but it's it's drinking pretty good right now. I mean, you know, we had it corvin for what uh, two days three days yeah i can't yeah. remember the amount but i mean you know today to me it's tasting better just because it sat for a couple days yeah in, in the, in we the let bottle. it open up a little yeah. bit yeah um it, when uh can people come out and see you guys is there a place like how do how do people get in touch with you how do they how do they find out how to purchase uh or if they're lucky enough to get on <laughs> the waiting list to get your wine ray you want to grab that one yeah, well, we are, when Troth, you know, we started this in 2018. Along the way, there was a, a large major worldwide hiccup that kind of shut everything down. You've heard of it. Um, <laughs> so our game plan for what we were going to do with our winery and our wines changed pretty drastically. But I would say it's been 10,000 times better. Uh, I mean, we had to pivot very quickly to release and get our wines into our customers' hands, and we had to go a full digital model. Um, and that has worked beyond anything I thought possible. It really required Jeff and I and our, our marketing group, Katie and Sherry, they're, they're more versed in it, but to become very strong at communicating who we are, what truth is, what's our goal, our wine, um, only through social media, emails, uh, and we've We've learned how to do that 
very strongly and very well. So our wines are available through allocation sign-up list on our website, and that's where it currently sits. Um, and we're going to hold, you know, hold to that right now. It's working really well because we put a lot of time and energy into communicating with our customers through our social media. And it's worked way better than if they were to pop into our tasting room. I mean, it's unbelievable how much success we've had so far. So jumping in and doing it that way has yielded the results we were looking for. So we're kind of um, also to go with that. Also, in addition to we're way out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, <laughs> if someone wants to come visit us, that's, that's fantastic, but we are not going to have pop-ins or drop-bys. We're in the horse seven Hills. Our winery is uh, under construction. It's will be finished uh, right towards the end of the year. And we'll have, of course, it, uh, the opportunity for all of our founders list members to come to our grand opening and see us or pick up wines. But mostly we're going to continue to put our effort into reaching our customers through social media platforms and, and email because we can accomplish so much more than if we're staff in a tasting room. Yeah. And well, to, to kind of touch on what you just said a little bit, uh, when, when the world shut down, uh, that's how this podcast was kind of created. We had to go digital. We had to find a way to reach uh, listeners. And, and to your point, it, it worked out really well for us. Uh, I mean, from a store who's doing like, you know, one to two tastings a week and having multiple customers in store and having education going on, you know, we lost all that. So, and we, yeah. we started this podcast and, uh, again, you, you, uh, are lucky enough to have a, a couple of people you said that work with you that kind of know the ins and outs. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Uh, our first couple of episodes we got on and, uh, we, probably butchered it and it was awful and we we talked some shit and we we got some immediate <laughs> feedback and and we start looking at numbers and i think by episode four or five we had a couple thousand listeners we're in like 14 different countries, countries. <laughs> and and perry goes hey you got to watch your mouth a little bit <laughs> you, you gotta watch what you say <laughs> so you know as it's progressed since then you know we've we've gotten a lot bigger we've kind of gotten a little sharper with what we do and and, and to my point earlier uh we've definitely uh, uh, put a pin in who we want to have on. Uh, we have a lot of people reach out to us. Uh, we're very fortunate in that way. Um, we've we've traveled around for it. Uh, we have people that are also going to continue to fly us out. Uh, we have some uh, trips planned, but we're very sharp and we've turned down trips because we don't uh, believe in the product or, or or even if we don't absolutely love it we're not we're not going to have them on so uh, your wine is fantastic I think you're a great representative for the horse Evan Hills and uh, I can't thank you enough for your time yeah and uh, we'll, we'll come out there and say hello to you guys um, I have a good friend who's got a restaurant in Richland and uh, we're, we're out there quite a bit in uh, that area so uh, not too far so um, stay on the phone and we're going to say, uh, thanks for coming on. The winery is, is, is Andrew's family. The wine is Troth. You can find them online. That's your best bet to get a bottle of this. Get in line, everybody. <laughs> um, world-class wines, uh, great family. Thank you guys for coming on. Uh, appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Barry. Absolutely. Right. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.